Let's look together in verse number 1 of the book of Acts chapter 6, and we'll read down through verse 7. The Bible says, In those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied. Okay, so this is the, this is the setting, this is the context for the words that's going to come. Uh, the number of disciples were increasing daily. Uh, we are probably now in the thousands, if not tens of thousands of believers. And in that context, there arose a murmuring. And in the Greek, that word is parallel to the word in the Hebrew. And this is the kind of murmuring the children of Israel did in the desert that made God's sword displeased. But it says there arose a murmuring of the Grecians, specifically, against the Hebrews, because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve apostles called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men, and there's three qualifications, of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost, and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. Now notice that. Everyone was happy with this decision. And they chose Stephen, who would later become uh, an evangelist, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, who would become an evangelist in time, and Prochorus, and history tells us he was a companion of the Apostle John, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the Apostles. And when they had prayed and laid their hands on them, and notice this was the result, and the Word of God increased. And the number of disciples multiplied yet further in Jerusalem, is the idea, greatly. And a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Our Heavenly Father, I pray the next few moments, Lord, as we look into Your Word, uh, Lord, that we see it as a, a guide, an example, Lord, of how we are to conduct business here at Eastland Baptist Church. And, and Lord, so I pray this is a text for all of us here together today, uh, a way that all of us can have a part and Lord, in, in, in being persuasive and convincing, uh, Lord, of making sure that this work that all of us so dearly love and are a part of and depend on, Lord, goes forward, and that, Lord, we may see a great increase as well. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you for standing. God bless you for that. Of course, you can be seated. The book of Acts is a history of the early church written by Luke. Of course, we know Luke wrote the book by his name, but we also know that Luke wrote uh, the book of Acts, kind of a continuation of that gospel. Uh, there he tells us about Christ, and of course now he tells us what happens to the church after Christ. So it is a, a history of the early church. It is a preservation of how the Holy Spirit worked in the church of Jerusalem and gave rise to its mission, to its purpose, and to the church's priorities. We see as a priority evangelism kind of triumphing over all things. Many things are important to a local church, but its primary goal, its primary mission is to get the gospel out into its own Jerusalem, into its own Judea, into Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. And we see a history of the church at Jerusalem doing just that. 
evangelism. And people were sharing personally their faith. They were being witnesses. And people were going house to house, sharing their faith with other people. And as a result of that evangelistic fervor and individual people only responsibility to share their faith, the Bible says redundantly that people were added to the faith on a daily basis. One of the things that added to that evangelistic fervor was the unity of the church. And Luke goes to great lengths to describe to us that this was a happy church, that this was a unified church, that this is a church who worked together in harmony. And that harmony fueled the passion of the church in a great way. When a church is unified, there is great power in that. We're all saying the same thing and doing the same thing. And by that, I mean the things of God together. And that's a priority. Then the outside world is going to look at that and they're going to marvel over that. And to a degree, they might want to be a part of that. To a degree, they might ask us for the reason of the hope that is within us. But we also see, contrary, when you, whenever someone's trying to do something for God, you can count on it. Just as everyone who is going to share their faith and be godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, so too will that church that is doing the business of God face persecution and opposition as well. And we see in our text so far, uh, from chapter 1 to chapter 6, three attempts of Satan to slow down and to thwart the purposes of God, specifically in the church. We have seen now a number of times, three times to be exact, the persecution of the apostles and how they were threatened by the religious establishment of the day, by the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they were threatened not to preach in the name of Jesus. And then they were beaten by these men. They were flogged, if you will. And for a time, they were imprisoned. But despite the persecution of Satan, and I love this, the church still grew. They still grew. And then secondly, we saw uh, the adversary's attempt to bring corruption into the church through Ananias and Sapphira. Uh, they, were, they were people who were selfish. They had lied to the church and to the Holy Spirit. And that selfishness was a threat to the unity of the church. And God gave wisdom to the apostles who dealt with that swiftly. And then that problem was dealt with uh, in a severe way. And of course, that threat was put down as well. And people still were added to the church. We don't know exact numbers now. The last count we have of the growth of the church was 5,000 men. And so if we add to that, you know, maybe wives and a number of children, um, you're talking about megachurch, there were probably, it's probably a neighborhood of over 20,000 people that were part of the church in Jerusalem. And the Bible keeps on saying before our text and then after our text that the church was continuing to grow. We do know this from last chapter that the disciples and the apostles had filled, the Bible says, literally filled Jerusalem with their teaching. They had obeyed their initial command to go into their Jerusalem and now they're beginning to go into Samaria and to Judea and they would be making their way shortly into the uttermost parts of the world. But now today we see a third crisis or an attempt by Satan to thwart the advancement of the gospel and that was by creating dissension in the church through accusation, disgruntled membership, and honestly, just organizational limitation. Now, in a moment, we will discover that God gave the apostles wisdom to answer to this problem. 
And then verse 7, if you look there with me, we'll just kind of jump way ahead. As a result of their answer, and the church's agreement with that answer, the Bible says, And the word of God increased, and the number of disciples multiplied Jerusalem even yet again. And so there's something here we need to see and understand because it allowed the church to continue to grow in a great way. In verse number 7, we see the Bible says they grew and that things increased. So in these opening chapters, we see the unity and the purpose of the church being challenged. Okay, it was challenged. And members of Eastland Baptist Church, we ought not be surprised I mean, if we're trying to do what God has called us to do, that sometimes we might meet with challenges. And all these same kinds of challenges, maybe sometimes living for Christ will be hard for you. There'll, there'll be a level of persecution. Uh, there, there might be times when each one of us are tempted to be selfish and to have our purposes rise above the purpose of the church. And if we're not careful, there may be times like today when we can grow grumpy and uh, unhappy, dissatisfied, contentious in a way that would be destructive. And so all of us need to work together to mitigate those kinds of things in our lives, but we shouldn't be surprised when they come. Those same issues and problems that threaten them will probably threaten us. But I would say this, because we have the Word of God, we have the answers for each of those problems. We have a way of overcoming them. And so I want to consider the problem that was presented to us in Acts chapter 6 this morning. So let me talk about the problem. Jerusalem was a multiculturally diverse uh, community. There was lots of ethnic groups, a lot of different languages that were spoken in Jerusalem. The city and the surrounding regions were made up primarily of descendants of Jerusalem, of Israel, of, of Judah before that. Um, and these people, for the most part, of course, would have spoke Hebrew, and most of them spoke Aramaic. These were the native tongues of that region. Um, but the Jewish religion had roots in other countries as well, and they had converts, or what the Bible calls proselytes in many nations, and especially in the Greek-speaking nations of the region. And these people who were converted were called Hellenistic Jews. These were people who would have been of Greek descent or origin. They would have spoken Greek as a primary language, and they were referred to as Hellenists. Now, these foreign-born proselytes, um, as well as all the, uh, the citizens of Jerusalem and the nation of Israel, gathered together on these feast days. There were three primary ones on the calendars of Israel, but we know just recently they all gathered together on the day of Pentecost. So there were people from all over the known world gathered together when the Holy Spirit came down and filled the apostles with the Holy Ghost. And of course we know that at that time many people were saved, and they were saved from all these diverse ethnic groups. Well, many of them stayed on to be part of this early church. And this cultural diversity was not the only diversity. There was also the diversity of age. There was young people, and there was old people. And there was male, and, and there was female. We know that in the church there was very poor people. We also know there were people there with considerable means. And all these people blended together under the banner of Christ, and for the most part, they all got along. They all got along. And of course, that is something that we should strive for as well. And they did this divide all, despite all the diversity of all the linguistic challenges, all the cultural differences. And at this time, even with the limited organizational ability of the church, the sheer number of people being saved, plus these different languages created issues that had to be solved 
in order for the church to go forward. Now, we do know this, that this church already had a measure of organization to it. Um, somebody was counting people, right? We know that because actual numbers are given. And that's just not the Holy Ghost who knows that. There were people in the church who were counting membership. They had some idea of how many people were being saved and added to the church. So there was the organization of, of counting people. We know this, they all met together. So the organization and structure of church. And, and they literally met together. Probably didn't look exactly like this, obviously. But there were people who met and assembled together at specific times and at specific places uh, during the week. There was the gathering in homes that took organizational structure. And we know this, there was a system in place for the distribution of food and money to those who had need. We saw the example of Barnabas earlier uh, who sold lands in order to help fund uh, the church in order so they could meet the needs. You have to remember, in these times and these days, there was no social security system. There was no governmental assistance for people who were in poverty. That was the purview and that was the, that was the, the mission of religion and, and the Jewish religion and of course of Christianity. And they took special good care of the widows. And so uh, Jerusalem was beginning to enter into a time of drought and difficulty that was already presenting itself. The burgeoning number of sheer disciples, there wasn't enough food uh, or work to go around. And so the church took care of each other in this time. And so the distribution of food uh, to needy people was something that the church had structure to do. Well, in this structure that was yet incomplete, obviously was growing, um, there was a murmuring that began to occur. Um, the Hebrews took seriously their responsibility to take care of widows and the disenfranchised of society. And of course, the Christians saw that as important as well. But because there was such a massive number of the church and the organizational structure was limited, a murmuring began to arise among specifically the Grecians. Okay, that's what the text says, the Grecians. These would have been the people whose first language was not Aramaic or Hebrew, but it would have been, uh, it would have been Greek. And between these groups, there, there may have been a level of cultural strife. The text doesn't say that, but we probably could imagine that. And so these Grecians, these Greek-speaking proselytes, who primary citizenship wasn't probably uh, to Jerusalem, but who had become Christians, they noticed, the text says that their widows, it's a specific phrase, that their widows were being neglected. Now, how neglected, we don't know, but they were not receiving what they thought was their fair, uh, equitable distribution of the food, and their widows were suffering for it. Okay, now look here. That's not a small problem. Okay, I'll get this later. These people weren't griping over the color of the carpet. Right? They weren't complaining over some slight thing that grace should have covered. Because that's what we do. We let grace cover those kind of things. They were murmuring over something legitimate. I'm not legitimizing the murmuring. But I am saying that the need they presented to the apostles was legit. And it was the fact that their widows, these ladies with little means and no means of employment, weren't getting the food that they needed to literally survive. And remember, in these days, people survive day to day to day to day. 
There was no weekly paycheck. It didn't, the system didn't work like that. I'm sure they attempted to contribute, but these widows were being neglected. Now, I don't know why they were being neglected. It may have been simply a true administrative oversight. Okay, let's, it's a number, 20,000 people. Okay, that just could have been an administrative oversight. Um, it would be not a stretch to maybe assume there were some, you know, these people were all new Christians, and there was prejudice in their day, as a, there is in our day. And, and this time, um, Hebrews, uh, before, those not even saved, they sort of looked down on Hellenistic Jews because they would have come from other regions than Jerusalem or Israel. They kind of looked at them as second-class Jews. And some of that may have carried over into the church. I don't know. That may be an assumption. I just know this prejudice is always a challenge of any people at any time. And so maybe some of that was happening. Um, we don't know the reason. It could have just been logistical. Sometimes just getting everywhere you need to be in a short amount of time is hard. But I do know this. There's two thoughts. The neglect was real, and it created genuine peril. Not just to the individual widows, but to the unity and the harmony of the church. Problems in the church threaten the church, don't they? And that was happening. It was real. And there was murmuring about it. Now, the Bible doesn't specifically say this murmuring was bad, but I just want you to know, we know this from other scriptures, murmuring in and of itself, complaining, never fixes anything. So if you're going to complain, complain to the person who could do something about it. And if they can't do anything about it, then you just go ahead and fix it, if you can. But, but take your grievance to the place where it's needed. We just don't spread things for the sake of spreading things. But that's where murmuring could go. Now, look here for a second. That was the threat and the peril of Satan here. The, the, the threat of Satan wasn't necessarily that the widows were being neglected. It was the firestorm of murmuring that was, could occur, that could have created dissension in the church, that could have thwarted its mission. None of us are our best when there's problems in the heart, right? And a church cannot do all that it's supposed to do in the right spirit with the unity of the church and there's problems in the church. We're all going to be less when we have problems that go unaddressed. So there was murmuring and complaining. But in wisdom, the apostles saw this issue as legitimate, and it was, and in need of addressing, and they did so quickly, which leads us secondly to the response. The response. The twelve apostles gathered together disciples. Now, I don't know if this is all the entire uh, congregation of the church. Um, it just says gathered together the, the assembly. So maybe the whole church, maybe it's been the leaders. But they gathered them all together, and they set about to add some additional administrative organization to the church. You know, not maybe super spiritual, but absolutely necessary uh, for things to go forward. So they're adding to the church. Now here's what they said. I'm going to paraphrase. The apostles, who saw their primary task as proclaiming the gospel. And by the way, they were giving away life and soul for this task. Okay, this is not said the way, you know, maybe some people say, I'm just too busy. Look up here. All these men would die for this mission. So when I say they were giving their life to this, they were giving their lives for this. And they were all serving as evangelists. They were all serving as missionaries. They were 
like the Apostle Paul, it was, just, it was the care of the church, which just now think here, tens of thousands of members they had the oversight of. That would have been exhausting. And then they were going beyond that to help start other churches. We know that the Apostle Paul and Barnabas and others came back to them for report, so they had the care of those things. They had an enormous task before them. And so they basically said this, we don't have time or the ability to take care of this issue that is legitimate. I just don't have time. We, we just can't give ourselves to that. And, and now, now think what that means. To take a busy person and then to assign them yet another task, which is sort of the way it always works, because busy people are ones working and those who aren't working resist working. But to give a busy person an additional task, okay, our, all of our cups are only like this full, right? Only this big. I'm only this big. And you give me more and more and more to do, I'm going to cease to do a better job or a good job on all the other things that I'm already doing. You know, a man who's chasing two rabbits never catches either of them. And that's the way it kind of works in life. We can have good intentions. We can want to. We can see the need. It's legitimate. I want to. But if, if, I, if I walk away from this task to do that task too, then this task is going to have some neglect to it. Okay? So that means, for example, if I have to give away my time to more and more things, the product, and forgive me for using that word, what I do here in this 30 minutes, that's a joke. <laughs> will be diminished. Whether it sounds like it or not, this takes time. It just takes time. And you know, I mean, this, this church, isn't that big. We, we all understand the work that all of us do here, right? And there's just a lot of work to be done. There was evangelism, there was ministry, there was decision-making, there was oversight, there was caring for the burgeoning church, there was counseling, which never ceases in any generation. I can't do all of it, they said. To resolve this issue, and they looked at the church, and they said, we need you to be a part of the help. We need you to get on board and do the work of the ministry. In other words, well, all of us do is the work of the ministry. There's just different roles. And so it was an organization for its own sake. This wasn't just inventing new programs. But it was to meet a real need in this time. So they said to this, okay, leaders, church, we want you as a group to nominate or put forth seven names. Seven names. And these men need to be known among you, and they need these requirements. Okay? They need to be wise. They need to be exercise practical wisdom. They need to be discerning. Beyond that, that competency, they need to be full of the Holy Ghost. They need to be genuine Christians. They need to have a level of spirituality to them. Um, they, they, they need to be men um, who have a, a love for God, and they need to be men of integrity who the world can't look at and, and have something to accuse them of. So we could say it this way. They need to have spiritual qualifications. They need to have moral and ethical qualifications. And they needed to have some administrative ability. And that's fair. And so the church suggested seven men. I don't know the mechanism exactly for that. They chose seven men. It is interesting that all of these seven names are Hellenistic. They're Greek. They could have been Jews from Jerusalem, most likely not. 
So the, the point being that where the problem was, the people closest to it were going to fix it. What a great principle. But that's not my sermon. But that's a great thought. The people who are close to the problem were assigned the ability to fix it. And now, I don't think this is temporary. There are people who say this is the beginning of deacons. It very well may have been. But I know these men also went on to do other tasks uh, for the Lord. But here's what happened. When they did that, when a solution was offered, <laughs> everyone was happy about it. Right? They were pleased. But why not eight people? Well, why not these guys? Because this is what we could do. So let's all be happy about that. I, I'm coaching here if you're not listening. Okay? They're all happy about it. And the murmuring stopped. There's no more murmuring. And the, the main mission of evangelism continued in such a way that additional disciples, followers of Christ, were added to the church on a daily basis. And that's the story. Of course, you know, there's always more to the story. And so let me give you some takeaways today. Some things I want us to apply here at the church. Number one is this. To be most effective as a church, we need a balance of organization and the Holy Spirit's power. And we need both. Now the Holy Spirit's power is not an immediate view in the text, but it is in chapters 1 through 5, isn't it? Over and over they prayed. Over and over they need the Holy Spirit's power. They waited for the Spirit, and then they moved. They waited for the Spirit, and then they did something. And so ch chapter 6 gives us a, a, a fuller picture. The church needed both organization and Holy Spirit's power. In the absence of either, or the neglect of either, would limit the ability of the gospel to go forward. Now, I, I want to talk for a moment about the organization part. All creation is reflective of God's design and organizational proclivity. We see that God made them male and female. Now, as binary and polar as that would be, you think that'd be simple. Okay? He's a God of order. We see it in the laws and the principles that He put in place. We see it in our days that has the order of day and night. We see it in the, the organizational ability of our solar system and the rotation of the planets and the moons around the, uh, the planets and the, and the planets around the sun. And then how all these galaxies exist together um, in, in some kind of cosmic order. We see this in the anthropic principles. That is the tens of thousands of principles that must be exactly precise in order for life to exist for a single moment on the, on the planet. The point is this, is God is a God of order, and He asks us, as His followers, to do everything decently and in order. It's the Word of God. He wants order in the church. Order takes some organization and ability. 1 Corinthians 14, 40. Okay, but, but there's limits to that. Okay. We are not a Fortune 500 company. And we don't want to conduct ourselves exactly like one. Now, we want to have some structure and, and, and whatever else in our church family. But listen, you know, leader, all the things you said about leadership and all these things, there's some real help in that. But man, you are the most organized, you know, most tightly run organization in the world, and you don't have the Holy Spirit. You have nothing. 
And you have the love of God. You have nothing. You are a clanging symbol, the Bible says. So there's a balance among these things. Ephesians 5.18 tells us to be filled with the Spirit. And then from that verse, he goes on and talks about the relationships in the church and in the home. Romans chapter 6-8 through 8 tells us to be spiritually minded. And those who are spiritually minded will find life and peace. And that's what we want in the church. So we need both. And extremes are to be avoided. Uh, those people who only try to be spiritual... You know, what is it to be so heavily minded you can't be earthly good? It's a cliche, but there's some truth to it. But to be, you know, just um, so organized that we squeeze the Holy Spirit out, that won't work either. So both are needed. Form follows function. And, and so the programs we have, listen, <coughs> they're not sacrosanct. And, and don't make them, you know, spiritual cows, whatever it is, you know. They, if they don't serve the purpose of the primary mission, then they can go away. But if they serve the purpose of the church, then let's keep them. And so just like the church in Antioch, or the church in Jerusalem, you know, if we don't have the spirit, we don't have the organization, well, then we're going to falter. So we should endeavor. Okay, now look here. I, I'm preaching to us as a church family today, and to you and me. All of us should endeavor together to meet both these needs. I'm asking for your help. Who am I asking? Brian, I'm asking you to be a spiritual man. I'm asking you to be full of the Holy Ghost, to have wisdom, to have a knowledge of the Lord God, and work to be wise. And I'd ask that of every single male in this room and every single woman in this room. You, you have that responsibility. I would ask you to have a walk with God because we are best served by everyone in this room loving God. And this church will be hampered by you individually. If you abdicate that responsibility. And we need more than seven. That was one singular task in the church among many. What's the point? I need everyone here to the degree that you can to participate in the ministry and in serving here at Eastland Baptist Church. That is maybe in a formal way, and like I just challenged at the beginning of service, in an informal way. Everyone needs to help us. Amen. If you're going to come in on a regular basis, be a help. I've already preached this message before. Shake a hand, sing a song, take some of the kids to the nursery, show some more of the classes at, teach a class, be a helper, vacuum, mow. All these things are important. And I'm getting ahead of myself. But these things are critical. And when these needs go unmet, both spiritual and organizational, the church suffers. And so we organize. We have the organization of Sunday school. We have the organization of the nurseries. We have the organization of asking people to come on Saturdays and mow the yard. And, a, and literally a hundred, not to be, not to be you know, hyperbole, hundreds, minimally dozens and dozens of different things that need to be done here. And we're not inventing programs for program's sake. And if I've done that, let's eliminate them. Because that just bleeds, takes away. But they are intended to be supportive of what we're trying to do. And so let's, let's not quench or limit that ability by, number one, actively offending the Holy Spirit by not being spiritual people and allowing sin in our lives and not growing in the Lord, or by negatively affecting the Spirit of the church by not participating in it. Because we see this 
you know, historically over and over, when the full church isn't involved, other people grumble because other people aren't involved in helping. That's human nature, isn't it? That's over and over in the Word of God. In other words, um, if, this, if we can't get ladies to work in the nursery, that hurts us. So let me just get to that. I've got to hurry. Which leads me to the second thought, which is the final thought. I'm asking all of you in this room to recognize that your service is important. That my service is important. And that all of it is. It's all spiritual. It's all necessary. You, look here. Some people read this text and find a little bit of offense. The, the apostles had a, maybe a haughty attitude. We're not going to serve tables. That, that's not what it's saying. That's the way our culture reads into it. They're saying this, we just don't have the time. We can't. This is a priority of the preaching. If I don't do that, no one else is going to do it. Right? Does that make sense? Now, I have help, but you understand the idea. So what you do is important. Okay, so, so if I'm so busy doing a thousand things, it's going to show here. But if someone doesn't mow the yard, you tell me you're not going to notice? And people who drive by aren't going to notice? If people's small kids stop back to the nursery and there's no one to take their kids, so they bring them in here and they've not been trained for that yet, and it's noisy and really here, we're not going to notice? I mean, exactly what's not important? And any one of these areas neglected is going to hurt all of us in our testimony and our ability to take the gospel forward. Don't prioritize one is more important than the other. I'm not doing that. I don't want you to do that. I don't think that was what was happening here. The lack of ministration to these Grecian widows was a threat to the entire church. The whole mission could have collapsed or divided over ethnically diverse reasons, and that's horrible. Christianity's got to be bigger than that. And so he asked for help. You know my job. If you don't, come tell, ask me and I'll tell you. Preach, guide, protect, oversee, counsel, finances, the whole thing. I have oversight. I can't do it. I've asked for help. We have a staff. And they do what they do better than I can do it. Far more attention, skilled in their areas beyond what I am. And it helps all of us. And then we have deacons. And they are a help. And then we have you know, leaders and administrators. And we have all of us. And every single bit of it is important. You know, if I stand here and I, I preach the best I can, but someone sits next to you and you're not friendly, or they watch you not sing or participate, what I do may not be enough to convince them. Or if I, we all do our best in here, but the guys just, we can't find guys to mow the yard. So people drop it, what's that group about? And just go right out the parking lot. We delegate to each other to help each other. We teach, we help, we do nursery, we do security, we mow, we sing, we do choirs. We have a wana, we, we, have the, we clean the bath, baptistry, so it's, well, that's appropriate green, but not a darker shade of green. <laughs> I have one body. That's all I got. From here to here, it's all I have. But all the things that happen in here are really different. I have a digestive system. I have a nervous system. I have a skeletal system. I have a muscular system. And any one of those things go bad, man, you just put a, a splinter in my pinky and I'm not okay. So 
So two things, don't be a splinter. And number two, be part of the system. Please. I just, just be help. That's how churches work. Realize when you help, <laughs> it's a help. Seriously. And when you don't, it hurts. I'm out of time. Book of Exodus, chapter 18. Great story. You should read it this afternoon. Moses, two million people. He's up from day to night. Listen, listening to people murmur. Jethro's father-in-law says, the thing that you do is not good. <laughs> it's not good. And he says this, it's not good because two things. You're going to wear away, and the people are going to wear away. You're going to exhaust yourself, and they're going to be exhausted, never having any attention. No one to watch their kids. No one to help in any of the ministries. It's the Hebrew, wear away, wear away. And where there's neglect of real need, we all wear away. Amen. And we're all tempted to murmur. It's just fair. But the Bible says that but when that problem was solved by the delegation in the church, church in the wilderness, that they endured. So, I'm done. Look up here. You with me? Be a help. Please. Be a help. Don't murmur. If there's a problem, let's address it the right way. Okay? Be a good follower. Be easy to please. It's just for a matter of fact. The disciples says, this is the best we can do. The other people said, okay, we'll do that. And the people were all pleased. They'll be hard to please. Forgive me, ain't no one can live with that. Be part of the work. And we will not only endure, we'll see the church go forward. All right, let me ask you to stand if you would today.